There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 1st of February 2012. For newcomers, help yourself to the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com. You'll see a bunch of the other sites I have listed there on that page. And uh, remember, they all have audios for downloads. They all have transcripts of a lot of the talks in English for print-up. And if you want to go into other languages, you can take a pick of the ones provided at Alan Watt Sentient, sentinel.eu and for print up and uh, help yourself as I say. Remember to make good use of the site because we don't know how long this will be up there because everything is rapidly changing as we all know and uh, eventually the, the goal is to leave you with the politically correct, correct sites and your, your mainstream media and government uh, websites etc and uh, there will be lots of porn left on you to keep watching and, and playing with the internet and, of course, uh, lots of ads and things like that for to, to buy things. Lots of spooky stuff as well. And, ooh, are we all aliens? And that kind of stuff. That's what you'll be left with the Internet. And that's the way it's planned to go. So make use of the website, cuttingthroughmates.com, while you can. Because who knows when they'll pull it all down. And remember, too, you are the audience that bring me to you. You can help me by buying the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And uh, from the U.S. to Canada... Uh, you can use a personal check or an international postal money order from the post office. Same price as an ordinary postal order, because you see international. You can send cash and use PayPal. Across the world, you've got Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal once again. Remember, straight donations are really awfully welcome, because I don't bring on people who advertise uh, and pretend they're guests. And you're listening to an hour's ad in some ways. I don't do that. And uh, I don't have shares in what they're selling either, or own their companies for that matter either. So uh, I really need your support to keep uh, plugging on and putting this stuff out here. And um, what I try to do here is just simply chronicle the events. That's all we're doing. Chronicling the events and going back into the history of the organizations which set up this global structure, the big plan, to take over all of the world's natural resources. That includes you folks as people, but we are natural resources. We are self-producing, you know, like a tree. And uh, and basically uh, bring the world into global society, which they themselves, they lead to a rule, as they always have ruled, in fact. And they also planned the wars that would be necessary to pave the way to this global structure. Wars are awfully good for them, as quickly and others have said. You get more done in five years of war, because government takes over with martial law during war. We, we accept more uh, tyranny, we accept uh, rationing even, all these kind of things, uh, searches uh, during wartime. So it changes society from within. It doesn't matter who you're fighting, they get changed as well. So they can get more of it done in five years of war than 50 years of peace and propaganda. And it's so very, very true. Look how quickly people have uh, adapted to this whole system uh, since 2001. Very quickly. And uh, 
Uh, it's not a surprise to the elites that have done this before, of course, in other countries, and they know exactly if it works one place, it'll work in another place. And the same slogans came out, come out, they've always come out down through the hundreds and centuries of, all the centuries, centuries and centuries of the same con games, right back to the Roman days too. It was always to keep you safe and give up your rights and all that same stuff, same slogans and, uh, and military of course obeys and, and becomes a tyrant over the public. Old, old, old story. Go into the archives as I say at cuttingthroughmedias.com and I'll go through the history of, uh, the Cecil Rhodes Foundation, the Milner Foundation, that they're also joined with them to become the Royal Institute of International Affairs, also called the Council on Foreign Relations, that work through your government, through all your media, and bring you to the world order. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I'm back, we're cutting through the matrix and I'm sure everyone's heard about uh, behaviorism, I've gone on about behaviorism so often and to do with the behaviorists, the ones who really came out uh, after Pavlov and Skinner and all these different characters that did shocking things on children, even their own children and other people's children and dogs and various things like that to alter behavior, you see, to see if they could put conditioned responses into animals, new ones that is. And, of course, this is all to do with people because Pavlov had a tremendous effects in setting up the, the, the school system in the Soviet Union to do with brainwashing the children in, in very effective ways. And uh, that went into mainstream psychiatry, and, of course, now it's used across the world. Uh, and we're all under the really behaviorist uh, uh, techniques today. Neuroscience has joined with them. Lots of the neuroscientists are behaviorists. And, uh, and of course, they, they work too with big pharma. Pharma helps uh, put you into the right kind of moods to get your, your behavior altered as well. So it's all one big mass of scientists, different schools who work together trying to alter your behavior. But it's done on every level as well. Because in Britain, uh, for many, many, many years, uh, they've often come up with new agendas with the police to train the public, to retrain the public uh, to do or not to do certain things, you see. But in the U.S., it's becoming, uh, it's just really kind of starting now where, where they've, they've given them authority to retrain the public. We've had, we've had these things in Canada too, where cops will go through, around uh, sewer markets and look for doors that are open or unlocked and keys in the data, and they come and take the keys away and so on and wait for the owner coming and give them a talking to like a little child. And that's to retrain you because now the, the authority figure, the daddy figure, is giving you a, a talking down to, you see. That's how it works. But uh, in the U.S., of course, being the U.S., and they go a step further because everyone's heard about the story. It's about the, the guy who got uh, uh, tasered uh, by a female uh, uh, ranger, park ranger, who stopped him for walking his dogs. Because just in December, apparently, it was taken over, that area where these people walked their dogs. It's all a kind of yuppie area. And the colony had done that for many, many years. And uh, this was night time, and she told me to stop and didn't have an ID. And uh, we'll see if he gave her false ID or not. It doesn't matter what he said, his name was Smith or whatever. I'm sure he just wanted to get away from this little haranguer who was going by the book because he's got something to prove, you see. And uh, so he tried to walk away, and she she tasered him, 
Now, taser too is, is a good technique because I love to use different terms. You see that kind of uh, sway away from what it really is. It's just a, a cattle prod on wires. We're cattle, you see, you know, and it's being used now to for compliance reasons. This compliance, you know, if you, if you want to comply immediately, boom, that's torture, you see. But it doesn't matter. Uh, everyone puts up with it. I've seen lots of these stories. I've read lots on the air over the years. Anyway, it says, um, it says San Mateo County Sheriff's deputies and paramedics that arrived after he was tasered and Hesterberg gave his real name, the park spokesman said. But it's when you reel down to, to towards the bottom, uh, you find... Uh, the, the PR, the public relations or propaganda person for the, the, the park rangers uh, basically says that um, they're training the public. It's to train the public, you see, and or to educate them, educate them. The ranger was trying to educate residents of the rule. This is the one who was standing up for her boss, Levitt said. So zap, uh, they're just trying to educate you, you see. That's all it was. And nothing will happen about it because no one will... Well, it wasn't me, it got zapped, I'll be okay, you know. And, and that's why the, these characters uh, rise up through the ranks as little toughies. Oh, she's she's tasered folk before and, or shot them or whatever. Now, this is quite a piece here because I, I don't know if people realize how the British government runs. It's all by deception. It's always been decept- by deception. Uh, long before you had governments, in fact, as we know them, you simply had kings and queens with advisors around them, and uh, and then, of course, it gave you this government thing. Uh, but they've never stopped uh, the cons on, on the public. When you get knighted, you you, ne- you then belong to a, a society, a very august society, and of course, you can be stripped of your knighthood too. But you're, generally, when you're stripped of your knighthood. You, you have to do something awfully, awfully bad, which generally is something uh, that, that, that involves shining the spotlight on your own peer class, as they call it. Anything else, ripping the public off, doesn't matter. But, uh, but you can't disgrace your, your, your fellow members. So this doesn't smell right, the story. And so it's probably a piece to, to waylay the blame uh, onto this guy who, who will do his duty. He'll look, Fred. Fred Goodwin is his name. He was the ex Royal Bank of Scotland chief, which isn't Scottish. It's actually owned by the, the English government. And um, but anyway, Fred, she probably, the Queen probably says, "Look, listen, Fred. Um, uh, we've got to give, give somebody the blame and swear away from the government and so on. Uh, so we're going to have to do this to you. Do you mind? You know, well, you know, it's not a good cause." And he'll be well financed. And then, of course, he comes back in a few years and they'll reinstate his knighthood, you see. This is how it will go. Anyway, it says, ex-Royal Bank of Scotland Chief Fred Goodwin does a runner. And it means he scarpered, he blew town just minutes after the Queen strips him off knighthood. And now he's just plain old Mr. Fred Goodwin. And he fled yesterday after, after the Queen stripped his, his knighthood and so on. It says the former Sir Fred sneaked away from his mansion in Edinburgh's Grange in a Jaguar XJ after being told he faced public humiliation. A special committee ruled that Goodwin had brought the Royal Bank of Scotland to their knees and triggered the worst recession since World War II. So here's the here's the guy we've been looking for all this time. He caused this depression. <gasps> it was him all the time, eh? You didn't know that, did you? And of course it wasn't him. He was just another money grubber doing what they're all doing, giving himself. The, the, the guys all before him are still sirs and lords, 
that all had the same position, and they were giving themselves their billion-dollar bonuses and stuff after uh, they caused the crashes. MC's top civil servant, Sir Bob uh, Kerslake, phoned him at 3 p.m. yesterday to break the news. He was told there's no appeal. Just 30 minutes later, Mr. Goodman was off. Then his estranged wife, Lady Joy, uh, Joyce, now uh, just Mrs. Goodwin, wasn't far behind. She dashed away in a Range Rover from the couple's uh, other luxury home in Leafy Collington. She looked stunned by the news that he was no longer a knight. As she returned last night, neighbours said they felt sorry, or sorry and all that stuff, blah, 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 but they didn't have sympathy for the husband. It was entirely proper this decision was made. And then it says, um, it's all gossip. Eh? They go, what do you think of it, the neighbours? I mean, who cares what they think about it, eh? Anyway, it says that um, decision was made by a, the secretive, listen to this, forfeiture committee, made up of senior civil servants and government lawyers and approved by the Queen. See, they have all these strange super committees you never ever hear of that override parliaments and work above parliaments, and, and every British Commonwealth country has one. So it's, it's just amazing that they still exist, but they exist all right. Prime Minister Cameron said, I, I welcome the committee's decision. The FSA report into what went wrong at RBS made clear where the failures lay and who was responsible. To say the British government owns about 80 to 85 percent of this, the, the shares and all that, that, that bank. The proper process has been followed and I think we've ended up with the right decision. So that's really what it's all about. Really, it's, uh, uh, putting the blame on someone, and I think it's a setup because he'll, he's still collecting his paycheck, and he's probably given a few, a few other million you know, to, to deal with for, for about six months to a year, and then once the, everybody's forgotten about it, they'll reinstate him as a, a knight once again. You know, that's really how it works. You know, but he, he, he wasn't, he wasn't the cause of it. All the banks were at it, as we well know. Now. Last year, uh, an, artic- uh, an article came out, and I read about it uh, and put it up there. But it was uh, it went nowhere, the article, and it was pretty, pretty stunning. And it said, um, it was about the clinical trials of, of a drug called TCA in cancer patients. And it says there that uh, it sounds almost too good to be true, a cheap and simple drug that kills almost all cancers by switching off their immortality. The drug dichloroacetate, it's called, DCA, has already been used for years to to treat rare metabolic disorders and so is known to be relatively safe. It also has no patent, meaning it could be manufactured for a fraction of the cost of newly developed drugs. So I guess the big companies are not interested. And apart from that, the agenda is not interested. They want us to die of cancers. Brings down the population. eh? Evangelos Michelin. Uh, Michael Akis, it's called, of the University of Alberta, Edmonton, Canada, and his colleagues tested the DCA on human cells cultured outside the body and found that it killed lung, breast, and brain cancer cells, but not healthy cells. Tumors in rats deliberately infected with human cancer also shrank drastically when they were fed DCA laced, uh, laced water for several weeks. DCA attacks a unique uh, feature of cancer cells. The fact that they make their energy throughout the main body of the cell rather than in distinct uh, organelles called mitochondria. This process called glycolysis is inefficient and uses up vast amounts of sugar. 
It says, until now, it's been assumed that cancer cells used glycolysis because their mitochondria were irreparably damaged. However, Michaelicus's experiments proved this is not the case because DCA reawakened the mitochondria in cancer cells. The cells then withered and died. Uh, Michaelicus uh, suggests that the switch to glycolysis is an energy source occurs when cells in the middle of the abnormal but benign lump don't get enough oxygen for the mitochondria to work properly. In order to survive, they switch off the mitochondria and start producing energy through glycolysis. And it says, crucially though, mitochondria do another job in cells. They activate apoptosis. This is the process by which abnormal cells self-destruct. When cells switch mitochondria off, they become immortal, outliving other cells in the tumor and so becoming dominant. Once reawakened by DCA, mitochondria reactivate apoptosis and order the abnormal cells to die. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the Matrix Street, reading about DCA, which uh, in, in, in experiments in Canada found that it could actually certainly reduce cancer or kill it off. And uh, it's unpatented, and uh, it has some side effects too, mind you, but it says DCA can cause pain, numbness, and gait as walking disturbances in some patients. But this may be a price worth paying if it turns out to be effective against all cancers. The next step is to run clinical trials of DCA in people with cancer. These may have to be funded by charities, universities, and governments. Well, the government won't do much because they want you to die off too. Pharmaceutical companies are unlikely to pay because they can't make money on unpatented medicines. The payoff is that if DCA does work, it will be easy to manufacture and dirt cheap. Well, that's how it should be, but if it got going, believe me, there's some law we get passed and the big boys would take it over. Anyway, it says Paul Clark, a cancer cell biologist at the University of Dundee in UK, says findings challenge the current assumption that mutations, not metabolism, spark off cancers. The question is, which comes first, he said. So it's, it's, it was quite a breakthrough, but nothing's, I haven't seen much on it since. So I'll put it up tonight, this particular article, and, um, and also uh, uh, another article about it, which is in more detail for those who can remember their um, biology, etc., and physiology. So uh, it's quite interesting to, to see what's out there. There's many things out there, but of course... They, they, again, too, it has to get approval to be used for that purpose, even though it's already approved for other uh, purposes. So, I'll put that up. And this article, too, this next article is about banks. Of course, every country is getting whacked right now as we get plundered. This is the same formula they used in the Great Depression, uh, where the big banks uh, ended up with owning masses of land and houses and God knows what else as they crashed the economies. But anyway, Denmark's, Denmark's banking crisis is getting worse, threatening to trigger more failures as loans to farms and small businesses sour and the property markets fail to recover, the head of the Financial Supervisory Authority said. We have a small group of institutions where we think there might be a risk that within the next 12 to 18 months they'll run into solvency problems. Ulrich Nodgaard, Director General of the Copenhagen-based FSA, said in an interview yesterday, any notion that the group of troubled banks might get smaller than we thought was has probably been taken off the table for a while. 
So they're still trying to recover from a property bubble. Same con that went on there too across the world that burst in 2007, hurting businesses as consumers cut spending and leaving farmers struggling to repay loans after the economy fell into recession. There are guys that buy these farms over for peanuts, just like the Great Depression too. Happened in Germany too. And uh, so it's the same old con game, the same things. House prices plunged an annual 8.5% in November as a gap between bid and ask prices widened. You find, too, uh, that when they're, they're buying, when people are getting right down to rock bottom and the houses are devalued down to a fraction of what they're worth, uh, the same big boys buy them over streets of them. That's what happened in England, too. They have whole, whole areas and regions within Britain all owned by sometimes a couple of brothers. Says banks at risk of being declared insolvent represent about 3% of Denmark's financial industry, Nordgaard said. So everyone's getting white with uh, these wonderful people uh, that handle the cash, you know, who've done this many times before, at least twice a century. That's their, their usual. And uh, this article, too, is interesting about the U.S. because we know that uh, the, the U.S. government holds a lot of the, the, the mortgages and holds actually owns a lot of the houses now that they took over, trying to ease it a little bit when they're all crashing, and um, they're putting them back on the markets to their pals, of course. Private equity firms are jumping into distressed housing as the U.S. government plans to market 200,000 foreclosed homes as rentals to speed up the economic recovery. That's how they've done it over the, the, the last century or more. That's why it's just, yeah, maybe a few people own, end up owning streets and streets and streets. GTIS Partners will spend $1 billion by 2016 acquiring single-family homes to manage as rentals. Thomas Shapiro, the fund's founder, said that followed announcements this month that GI Partners, a Menlo Park privately equity fund, expects to invest $1 billion and Los Angeles-based Oak Tree Capital Management LP will spend $450 million on similar housing. It's a massive market. You can feel them salivating, these sharks, eh? <laughs> really. Shapiro said in a telephone interview from New York, we're starting to see this as a billion-dollar opportunity to buy rental housing. And believe you, these guys are really up the rents too, believe you. Anyway, creating more single-family rental properties is one of the series of programs introduced by President Barack Obama's administration aimed at reviving the housing market. An S&P case Schiller index of property values in 20 cities has dropped 33% from its peak in July. 2006, 6 and 12% of homeowners with a mortgage are either delinquent or in foreclosure. Last week, the administration revised its home affordable modification program, offering government incentives for mortgage investors, but only to big corporations. Yeah. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac when they forgive debt on homes that lost value as a way of preventing delinquent borrowers from losing their, their houses. And um, so when it goes into increasing rentals and so on and tells you other cities uh, that, are doing, that are doing across the whole states and goes through the big corporations that are buying them over because they're the only ones we offered them from the government, you see. It's all who you know, isn't it? So much cash you got. This is the federal agency uh, which oversees them plans to complete initial transactions in the first quarter of this year, offering some of the 180,000 foreclosed homes in their inventory to private operators as rental properties. Corrine Russell, spokeswoman, said in a telephone interview. And then there's public-private partnerships. You'll pay for it for getting all fixed up. Then they'll hand them back to the private guys. Back with more after this break.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back, cutting through the matrix, talking about all the homes uh, that uh, were repossessed, basically, and the, the people kicked out of them, of course, who ended up in ten cities, etc., so that now the bankers can get them all for peanuts. But it says one trillion liquidations are due, but 7.5 million homes with a current market value of one trillion dollars will be liquidated through foreclosures or other distress sales by 2016, according to an October 27 report by Chang. That will add to the estimated 20 million single-family homes already operated as rentals, which have yielded annual returns averaging 8.1% since 1990, Chang's report said. Then talk about how the rentals can produce cash flows, known as capitalization rate or cap rate, that reduce losses more than reselling foreclosed homes at a time of weak demand, the Federal Reserve report said. So it's just astonishing how they just plunder the public, eh? twice a century generally, and uh, that's their history anyway, and we put up with it. We, you know, people lose everything. But again, too, that's, people, people do put up with it. That's the problem. Preliminary estimates suggest that about two-fifths of Fannie Mae's REO in inventory would have a cap rate above 8%, sufficiently high to indicate renting the property might deliver a better loss recovery than selling the property, the Fed papers said. So they really do well, you know, these guys who just buy over uh, chunks of towns and cities and end up putting extortionate rates to for a, a 12 by 12 room you end up living in, like like New York or something like that. But that's how they do it, folks. That's how you get rich, isn't it? That's how you get rich. Now, there's also a, a, a site I'm putting up tonight. It'll be all over the place tomorrow. Everybody will copy it, I guarantee you. <laughs> But it's from the World Economic Forum, and um, it's to do with the GAC, and uh, it's a Global Agenda Committee, basically, or Council, the Global Agenda Council, and it, it comes up as, I'm not kidding, there's a Global Agenda Council, and they have all these buttons that come up on the page when it comes up. Just click them on, and you'll see who's in each one, and it's all the big business boys, or all the big names come up. And faces, etc., familiar faces that buy the homes in the U.S. for peanuts, same kind of characters, and how it's for the global good, and they're all working for the global agenda. So I'll put that for you tonight, tonight too. But global agenda councils, did you know that? There's, there's hundreds of them, and they all come up on this site. Now, um, there's been movies put out in the past to do with the big pharmaceutical companies which go down into Latin America and bribe a few people there, the right people, and then they test out their vaccines on them. They've even had them in some of these outbreak movies that they have. And uh, and uh, they're still at it, you see. Where do you get poor folk? That's what they do. They're doing it in India, too, of course. It's always the same companies, too. Glax- GlaxoSmithKline, Argentina Laboratories Company, was fined 400,000 pesos, uh, but that's about $90,000, I think, by Judge Marcelo Aguinsky, uh, following a report issued by, the, that's a very Aguinsky, that's, that's, uh, anyway, a report issued by the National Administration of Medicine, Food and Technology, it's called ANMAT in Spanish, for irregularities during lab vaccine trials conducted between 2000 and 2008. I remember reading it at the time, 
when it happened that allegedly killed 14 babies. Actually, more. They reduced it down for the court case. Likewise, two doctors, Hector Abatsi and Miguel Tregnagi, were fined with 300,000 pesos each for irregularities during the studies. So this gets the company really off the hook. It's it's really the doctors, you see. The charges included experimenting with human beings as well as falsifying parental authorizations. authorizations. They're forging signatures and everything. So babies could participate in vaccine trials conducted by laboratories from from 2007 to 2008. Since 2007, 15,000 children under the age of one from Mendoza, San Juan, and San Diego del Estero have been included in the research protocol, a statement of what the study is trying to achieve. Babies were recruited from poor families that attended to public hospital, uh, that went to public hospitals for, for help, for treatment. So, oh, you know, can we have your baby, please, for a big experiment? A total of seven babies died in San Diego del Estero, five in Mendoza, and two in San Juan. Pediatrician Anna uh, Marchese, who reported the case through the Argentine Federation of Health Professionals and was working at the Eva Peron uh, Children's Public Hospital in San Diego del Estero, when the studies uh, were being conducted, said this morning in conversations with Continental AM Radio that GSK Argentina, that's Glasgow Smith Klein, uh, set, a, set a protocol at the hospital and recruited several doctors working there. It's so easy to get them all involved for cash, eh? When, you know, when money talks, morality walks. These doctors, to advantage of many illiterate patients uh, and to take their children for treatment, are pressuring and forcing them into signing 28-page consent forms, <laughs> which they probably couldn't even read, and getting them involved in the trials. Laboratories can't experiment in Europe or the United States, so they come to do it in third world countries. Colombia and Panama were also chosen by GSK as staging grounds for trials of the vaccine against the pneumococcal bacteria. And it says, likewise, Marchese explained the modus operandi, once a pick patient arrives, it would automatically disappear to be taken somewhere else in order to be treated by those doctors specially recruited by the GSK. These kind of practices are not legal and occurred without any type of state control, plus they don't comply with minimum ethical requirements. Which is all remembered that labor- also remember that laboratory trials on human beings are not legalized in Argentina. See, they break every law in the book, but they get away with it because they're stinking rich and they have lots of connections. She says, too, uh, there are already exist very good vaccines for the same diseases. But we all know how laboratories work. They only care for their own business. In other words, they're experimenting with different stuff than what they're telling them. And goodness knows what it is they're giving them. There's some precursor to what they'll give us down the road. You know, they'll turn us into little people or something. To end, Dr. Marchese aimed to uh, San Diego del Estero Governor Gerardo Zamora, who never ever came out to stage uh, a comment on the case. And same happened with national deputies and senators that didn't even bother into discussing a hot topic that was echoed worldwide because they're all bribed. That's it. And she says, I'm also ashamed of the scientific community that also kept its mouth shut. Well, that's the real world, isn't it? That is the real world. And it goes on with more and more information, but you can look that up for yourselves if you care. And you should actually should look into these things because one day you'll get it or your child will get the stuff that's got nothing to do with what they tell you it is, like the previous vaccinations, except to attack your endocrine system, sterilize you, and make sure that you don't live past the age of about 55 or 60. And Lobbying, lobbying. I mean, we really are getting poisoned from every level, you know. 
as I say, Monsanto is a must-be. It's, it's been backed by governments, backed by courts. Uh, anybody complaining about the stuff getting wafted on their farms and, and, and growing their genetically modified corn or whatever they're up to, uh, they, they get, they're blamed. You know, you're blamed. You can't complain about it. You're blamed for it and fined until you lose the farm generally. I've done some articles in the past on this. And uh, incredibly powerful group with their own little internal military too. Big, you know, uh, the, the big enforcers, enforcers you call them basically. The heavies, the guys who set on you to intimidate and threaten you. Which have done lots of them. And they get, away, they get away with that too. So it must be that they get across the whole world and poison everybody except for the elite who can afford really, really natural food. They're not called organic, but it's really just natural food. What we eat is unnatural. It's modified. Monsanto spent $2 million lobbying government, uh, it says here. Uh, it says a $2 million in the third quarter to, to lobby the federal government on issues, including regulations for genetically engineered crops and patent reforms, according to a recent disclosure report. That, uh, that's slightly more than the $1.9 million Monsanto spent a year earlier and end up almost 18% from the $1.7 million it spent during previous quarters. What do you think it means when they say that they spent $2 million lobbying? They already have the staff. It, the money changes hands to the guys who listen to them in government. That's where the cash goes. The world's largest seed company lobbied Congress and the U.S. Department of Agriculture over regulations that would affect the distribution of genetically engineered crops like the company's Roundup Ready sugar beets and alfalfa, according to the disclosure of the company filed October 18th, that was last year, with the House Clerk's Office. The company also lobbied Congress on patent protection reforms. Monsanto spends years or sometimes more than a decade developing patented strains of genetically engineered crops. Maintaining those patent rights is key to the company's profit model. The company lobbied, lobbied the Congress and the Department of Justice on issues surrounding agricultural consolidation and antitrust enforcement. And I'll put that up tonight as well, this article, uh, along with another one on Monsanto as well. Because what they're really lobbying for too was for the U.S. government to put the, uh, its heavy hand on all the European countries that, that are not go- they don't want the stuff imported from the U.S. into their countries. It's actually been put into law. Yeah, put the heavy hand on. Don't give them any loans. Don't don't help them. Don't buy any of their stuff until they give in. That's what they're doing. Big corporations, you see, big corporations are more power than governments, really. Now, another article too is awfully important because it's to do with mind control, real mind control, of course, because. We've seen them torturing people and waterboarding people in the movies and actually do it a lot in reality. And they're even doing it domestically, now I understand. And in other words, to get them to tell uh, them what they're, th- what they're thinking, what's, what's, in their, what's really in their brain, tell us the truth. And so this article comes out uh, from the BBC News. It says, Science decodes internal voices. Researchers have demonstrated a striking method to reconstruct words based on the brain waves of patients thinking off those words. The technical report was reported in PLOS Biology relies on gathering electrical signals directly from patients' brains. Based on signals from listening patients, a computer model was used to reconstruct the sounds of words the patients were thinking of. The model may in future help comatose, unlocked in patients communicate. You know what to do with, this is stuff's going to be everywhere, where they're reading your mind as you walk down the street. That's what it's all about. This, this is the war business, folks. 
They don't care about people in comas. Yeah, they've used paraplegics to embed these little chips in their brains so they can do their emailing. DARPA did that. And it's like, look it up yourself and see. But, uh, but that's just using, um, someone who's, who's so down that they'll do anything that might help them. But this stuff is all to be used on the public down the road. Several projects have in recent years suggested that scientists are closing in on methods to tap into our very thoughts. The current study achieved its results by implanting electrodes directly into a part of participants' brains. Now, you couple that with Microsoft's uh, uh, admissions last year and the year before that uh, they don't really need those little helmets to put on you to have interactive computer games, etc. They can actually use this, the, the, the same uh, antenna around the screen to, to, to massage your brain. Well, you, you put that t- together with what these guys are doing here with this technique, and you don't need any wires at all. In a 2011 study, participants with electrodes in direct brain contact were able to move a cursor on the screen. That was old stuff. They'd done it long before 2011, by the way, and, and, uh, and I think it was in um, Sweden. A technique called functioning magnetic resonance imaging to track blood flow in the brain has shown promise for identifying which words or ideas someone may be thinking about. By studying patterns of blood flow related to particular images, Jack Gallant's group at the University of California, Berkeley, showed in September that patterns can be used to guess images being thought of. Uh, recreating movies in the mind, it's called, too. The development of direct neurocontrol or virtual or physical devices would improve quality of life immensely for those who suffer from impaired communication skills. <laughs> and so anyway, it goes on and on. I also put up another one from PLOS, as they call it, to the, the scientific uh, journal, uh, and it's, it's for public access, uh, for public uh, for biology, and they go into it in more more detail and show you what they're up to. But yeah, you'll be walking down the road, or they'll just scan your house, and they'll hear, you, they'll hear all these chattering thoughts as it goes through your head. And uh, uh, this is definitely the road of the future. Then they won't have to waterboard you or or torture you or anything like that. They just uh, scan you. It's probably here already, actually. Whoever they admit it to in the general public realm is is uh, pretty well obsolete. Uh, they, want, they want an even better method by then. Plans to force households to have energy-smart meters in Britain installed have been shelved over health and privacy fears. See, at least the people there uh, had enough smarts to start saying, yeah, we don't want nuked uh, with this stuff every day and uh, with microwaves. And... Uh, they made such a stink that there was something was done in Canada. Nothing happened, as far as I know. And uh, we're awfully laid back here. I'm sure we get more dope or something than anybody else sprayed from the skies. Anyway, the government has promised that every household would have a smart meter by 2019 in a £12 billion program to stop gas and electricity bills being estimated. Officials are devising plans to allow people to reject the smart meters, which communicate remotely from households to energy companies using FM and microwave. The move is a victory for campaign groups and backbench MPs who raise concerns with ministers that the devices emit electromagnetic radiation 24 hours a day and cannot be turned off. Privacy campaigners were worried that half-hour data on energy usage collected by smart meters could give clues about people's way of life, such as when someone is on holiday, at work, or asleep. They can actually tell where you are in the house, by the way, with that too. The Israelis invented that, that part of it. Sources in the Department of Energy and Climate Change said the proposal was shelved to avoid the program getting bogged down in lengthy legal disputes. There's been, there's been a public outcry recently about the potential health effects of smart meters 
in the US and Canada. About 400,000 have been installed in British homes. Most of the devices emit similar radiation to mobile phones. It's actually way above that, believe you me. Uh, microwaves and wireless internet. Because, you see, they can use your house and, and then tap, they can funnel everybody else's signals uh, as, they're, as they're doing their, their surveys through your meter. And you hear the darn thing hum when it goes, believe you me. And that, that microwave goes way up. So, I see some people claim to be sensitive to electromagnetic fields. It gives them symptoms such as nausea, fatigue, and headaches. That's been known since the invention of the electric motor. In America, utility companies have been hit with multi-million dollar class action lawsuits from people who've had the devices installed in their homes. The regulators see smart meters are safe, of course they will, but protesters point to the American Academy of Environmental Medicine's opposition to devices. Uh, Bill Esterstone, MP for Sefton Central, is now urging the government to see whether the smart meters will come with health warnings. We believe people will benefit from having, and then the guy who's all for it, the energy minister's all for it. We believe people will benefit from having smart meters, but we will not make them obligatory. Actually, the cost is to go way up too uh, once you get them in. The cost goes way up. It doesn't save you anything for those who don't know too much about it. And oh, this one on... You know, Big Pharma... No, well, the world the world is so evil, folks. It's so evil. Big Pharma it makes so much money from everything. All misery they can make money from. That's what medicine is based on, money from misery. And uh, loss of money, too. And I'm putting up an article tonight to show you. They give them people who have been addicted to heroin methadone in Britain. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an artificial opiate, basically. You'll see a woman licking it off the street when she dropped her prescribed bottle. It's just, this is what they give them. And, of course, they never get off it. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're back coming through the Matrix. So I'll put that last article up too uh, on methadone and how they prescribe like crazy. And the people are generally on it for as long as they live. And pharma's very happy that they've got them addicted to this instead of heroin. And it's just pretty well as addictive. Now we'll go to the callers. Is Phil from New York there? Can you hear me? Who's, who's this one? This is Phil. Okay, Phil. Well, go ahead. Yeah. My fellow talk criminal. <laughs> yes, there you go. That's Thank it. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for taking my call. I'm a, I'm a first-time caller, relatively new listener. I'm, I'm learning a lot from your show, so I appreciate what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I was calling, you know, the Monsanto thing. I mean, it's just absolutely evil. Um, I'm, I'm currently enrolled in a re-education camp here at the University of Albany, and my professor, you know, saw nothing wrong with this. Uh, you know, she loved it. She thought it was a good thing, you know, to feed the world. And huh. even when I raised objections, uh, they, they were always kind of shot down. Uh, I went so far as I, I printed out articles showing some studies in Europe that mm-hmm. it sterilizes, you know, third generation. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she probably threw them in the trash. Yeah, she probably did, yeah. So, I mean, uh, she, you know, uh, I'll be nice because I'm on air, but she's a real creature, you know. Uh, but um, the, I had a question for you. Um, I noticed that they've been spraying, you know, like crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, all over the country. Is this something that's happening worldwide? 
almost worldwide. There's a few uh, very wealthy islands and so on that they don't seem to get much spray at all. But uh, pretty well worldwide. It has been worldwide since 1998. Yeah. 1998, okay. I mean, uh, you know, if I, if I say anything to anybody about it, or, you know, their eyes glaze over. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a little, it's kind of frustrating, but... You know, I guess there's not much you can you can really do. No, no, they expect they they do. They've been trained to expect the mainstream media to tell them anything they should worry about, and they really believe that's what the media is for, like an extension of their brain. And it's it's true. They, they are the grateful dead. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's sad. They just regurgitate, you know, information. They they can't even think for themselves. They can't. You know, a lot of my friends, I, uh, you know, they just care about the. The football game, or you know, next time they're going to get a drink, and yes. you know, it's it's frustrating. But um, you know, okay, well, you know, I'll let you take another call. But uh, you know, thank you for uh, what you do, and uh, I'll call back another time. Okay, Phil. Remember to ask your teacher how much funding they get from Monsanto at the university there. Yeah. I should. I'll do yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And take care, Alan. Thank you. Thank you for calling. So yeah, as I say, that's um. That's how it really is in the real world. Everything's bribery, money passes and uh, changes hands. And, and the Rockefellers, who's completely on board with uh, the GM agenda, um, funds every university, actually, pretty well in, in, in America and Canada. And across Europe, too, lots of them as well. So they're all funded from their masters, and they ain't going to say anything bad about their master's agenda. Apart from that, the world is feeding itself pretty well. We can't even feed ourselves at home anymore as we get more and more farms out of business. You see, this is the global agenda, folks. And eventually food will be used as a weapon. It already is. We're eating poison, stuff that's soaked in pesticide and produces its own pesticide, and, and it's nasty, nasty stuff. So... That's where it is. Right? Well, from Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you. <laughs>